0: coming up next on the wet fly swing podcast
1: they just sort of do that and they sort of have these repetitions where they have these spring spots where they go to maybe spawn um, and then they have their summer spots they are a cold water fish they really don't like hot temperatures they they're not as i would say they're not as sensitive as say a brook trout um, but they really prefer cold water and so In the summertime, they find these thermal refugees, which there are many um, on the St. John.
0: That was Greg Labonte sharing some insight into the life history of muskie, fish ecology, invasive versus native fish species, and Greg's top 10 fish for Maine. Today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, 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 stay tuned. Next week... As we're launching into Steelhead School West, heading out west, and we are heading to one of the great places, the Skeena River. Check it out next week. We're starting kicking it all off with the big giveaway. You can head over to uh, schooloffishing.co. That's schooloffishing.co. Anytime, uh, anytime during the year, and you can check out all the trips we have going. And, uh, and you can also sign up uh, for this event. Bear Vault has the perfect solution to keep your provisions secure while heading into the backcountry this season. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. Please head over to wetflyswing.com/bearvault to check out this must-have solution for the outdoors now. Greg Labonte is here to take a deep dive into Maine fly fishing and the ecology of the great waters of Maine. We get Greg's top 10 species that he loves to fish for most. And uh, and I can tell you, top five are not trout. We find out why he loves to create passionate discussion around conservation in his podcast, even when that might get a little controversial. Loving it with his podcast in the film. And we find out, and we find out which is his most contentious podcast to date in the film. Check it out. Today's episode is sponsored by Dalton at uh, Country Financial, who thrives on helping families and community members through the power of education and proper insurance coverage. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can check out Dalton right now at wetflyswing.com slash country and make sure you are protected today. Houdal Regulations reviewed his college professor profession and flies on demand. Plus, A little queen to wrap this thing out of here so here we go greg labonte from maine com. how you doing greg
1: hi dave i'm doing great thanks for having me
0: yeah thanks for thanks for coming on here and digging into uh uh, you know obviously maine is going to be the topic we're going to talk about some of the stuff you guys do out there we've had a number of episodes and you know we've got a number of listeners in that area part of the world as well you're up in the corner on a pretty cool part of the country so um so before, you know, Maine Fly Guys, you guys have a shop, you got a lot going on. We're going to dig into all that. Before we jump into everything there and probably a little bit on musky today, uh, talk about how you first got into fly fishing, then we'll take it there.
1: Well, like most Mainers, I guess, I, I was brought up dunking worms and little brook trout streams with my dad, you know. Um, that was, that's kind of the the pinnacle of, of youth fishing in Maine, um, and that I loved it, you know, as a kid and my dad would always say that he knew that I was probably going to stick around doing it unlike my brother because uh I couldn't catch anything all day and I just enjoyed being out there but my brother was 5 minutes didn't catch anything time to go home, you know. So so I stuck with it um and then, you know, I I fished a ton growing up, a lot of rod and reel, dabbled a little bit in fly fishing but not anything crazy. And then in college, um, my undergraduate degree is in wildlife ecology um, with a with a minor in fisheries. Um, so all my friends and all my advisors and everything were were really really into fly fishing. So when I was like eighteen, I was like, oh okay, well I can't be caught with a rod and reel in my hand. And uh, ever since I, I I haven't touched a rod and reel since. So so I just kind of got into it because my friends were into it, and then just sort of an obsession took over like, you know, a lot of people do. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back since.
0: Nice. And, and where is the, uh, where are you guys located?
1: We're out of Gorham. Um, but people, you know, I meet up with people if they want to check something out or whatever, but, um, but soon, hopefully soon we have a shop in the coming in the future. Um, we're moving, I'm moving out of my house right now. And so we're moving and hopefully we'll have sort of a barn shop where people can come and stop by and, and, test out our reels and see our stuff and and do all that stuff. So we're at of Gorham right now though. At of Gorham. Yeah. Which
0: is, uh, which is kind of, is that in the
1: South? Yeah, that's Southern Maine. I would be
0: considered a flatlander to, to our Northern friends for sure. That's right. Nice. So for you guys, I mean, I know you're doing, you know, education is a big piece of what you have going. How did the Maine fly guys, how did that start? Talk about that, how you came into that?
1: Well, Dave, I, um, I spent about eighty thousand dollars on my education um, for to work with to work with fish, and I researched fish and got extra degrees working with fish. And I researched fish and I realized that I really didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't want to work with fish. I just liked to fish, you know. So I started um, teaching at the University of New England. That's my day job. That's what I do for a living is I'm a teaching professor at the University of New England. Um, And I, you know, I I get to teach fish every now and then um, through ecology. But I was like, man, I feel like I'm wasting my $80,000 education by not doing anything with fish, really. So I said, you know what? I would really like to start a company um, that focuses on educating anglers because I feel that there's a a, a lack of education in Maine on uh, uh, fisheries. Um, So rather than having people spend $80,000 to get the same education I did, I figured I'd start this company um, and provide that educational material Um, because I really believe that a more informed angler will foster better fisheries. Um, over, over, you know, a long period of time. And then, um, you know, when I was first starting fly fishing, um, I usually had to pick between, can I get new fly line? Or do I want to buy a tank of gas to get back to college? (laughs) So, you know, anyone who's been in the fly fishing world knows that there is a substantial financial hurdle um, that exists to enter the sport. And so, I wanted to provide a way for kids like myself, when I was, you know, a kid, to get into the sport without having those financial troubles. So I offer really high quality products at incredibly low prices. I'm I'm a professor, not a businessman, so I actually run a really poor business model. <laughs> I would say I I don't really make any money off my company. Um, I'm just doing it uh, to provide opportunities for for people that want to get into the sport, but, you know, might have financial troubles. Um, And uh, we've recently ventured into providing flies for people. Um, And what we've done is we've brought American fly tires on. They tie for us. Um, We sell their flies, give them exposure, and and then we um, manage all of their inventory and stuff and we basically sell for them uh or uh, pay them as we sell and it's just a been a really really awesome partnership um with a lot of our fly tires i think we have six now and we're working on a few more so it's been a really really fruitful partnership um to get some people exposure and uh yeah we basically again we identified another issue was that a lot of fly tires tying for fly shops were maybe not getting paid what what I thought was equitable. Um, And so I said, well, I'll give you almost all of it. Just, you know, to drive a little traffic our way, you get basically all the money and we both win, you know? So, so that's really been a a pillar of, of main fly guys is providing equitable situations for everyone, you know? And I'm just lucky that I have a day job, you know, so I'm not trying to make money on, on my company. Um, So, so that, that's some companies have reached out to me and sort of been rubbed the wrong way, if you will, because I'm charging pretty you know, ridiculously low prices for for stuff. And, um, yeah, so, you know, so that's that's sort of the inception of it. And uh, we've expanded greatly. It's been very, very successful um, and we're continuing to grow. Um, and pretty soon we're going to have full outfits. For people to buy at you know if you just want to get into the sport you probably won't have to spend more than 200 to get absolutely everything that you need um and that that sort of has been a long-term goal of mine is is how can i provide opportunities for new anglers to get into the sport without having to break the bank
0: so yeah so that's uh that's a little bit about it you know there's more to it but uh, but that, that's that's the gist of it Gotcha. So, and I'm just looking at some of your flies. So, like you got you got a good mixture of things. So, for example, you got some Euro nymphs and things like that. So, yeah, they're like three. I'm not even sure on prices, right? So it's three twenty-five. So that is a pretty reasonable price for for a fly.
1: Yeah, and the the fly tires they basically get off most of it. You know, we get a very small small percentage, but they get most of it. Um, and that's you know, people come to our website, they look at our stuff. Uh, fly tires get exposure i mean it's just you know yeah we're, we're all about building partnerships i'm not i don't want to rob anyone and and i want to pay them for their time because i i tie thousands and thousands of flies every year people can uh contact me for custom orders which which a lot of people do um and so i tie like pretty close to like ten thousand flies a year and you know it takes a lot of time <laughs> to make these flies. People don't realize because maybe it's because you lose them on a rock or lose them in a tree. And, you know, it's just like whatever, you know, but they take a serious amount of time to tie a large batch of them. And so that time is the most valuable thing that maybe anyone has. And so we want to make sure that our, our tires are
0: paid appropriately for for, for their time. That's awesome. Yeah, we just had a episode with Umqua Feather Merchants, and mm-hmm. uh, and they dug into that story of of how you know, and it's I mean, they've got factories. He talked about how they they've got like multiple factories over in Southeast Asia, right? And um, mm-hmm. I think, gosh, how many SKUs do they have? They've got like five thousand profitable SKUs right so it's, it's it's like they got this massive you know and, and they're probably maybe the biggest one of the biggest companies but they're just churning churn out but the great thing about what you're saying is that yeah you've got that in but you've also got the end you guys on, which is you've got your your niche right and, mm-hmm. and you're providing oh, yeah. custom orders and things like that. so it sounds like there's plenty of room still available even with some of the big like umquad type companies out there
1: oh yeah and i would say if anyone wants to start selling their flies or something like that, like, you know, if you get a cool pattern and you want to start selling flies, like, go for it. The the market is not saturated, not even close. I'm just one, you know, little person and I, I can't keep up with demand, not even close. So that's it. Yeah, there's a ton, a ton of room. And it's great because people, you know, flies are probably one of the most fleeting items out there. Flies just do not last that long. And so, you know, the renewal of a fly box lasts maybe two, three years, you know, and then hooks get rusty, things fall off. And so you need to replenish it. And so there's always going to be this need for more flies, you know, it's really going to be hard to saturate that market. So yeah, I would say if someone, anyone asked me, like, how did you start selling yours? I was like, dude, I just went on Instagram, posted a picture and was like, DM me and you can buy this, you know, then if people want to make an extra, you know, a couple hundred bucks a year, a couple thousand, it's like, it's a great, great way to do it. So,
0: so yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome to hear. And, uh, and you mentioned your, some of the educational stuff. So does this live on the website or where, if somebody wanted to see some of the stuff you guys are doing from the, kind of the education blog, I'm not sure. I know you're doing videos, blogs, things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of all scattered. I'm not, you know, I wish I had more time in the day, I'd I'd make it more centralized. But a lot of it is through Instagram and social media, we do daily posts. And a lot of it, the majority of our posts are centered around education. And when I say education, it's ranging from things that are very complicated, um, that you wouldn't know, unless you took like a graduate level fisheries course, to how to properly catch and release a fish, during cold days, or don't fish for trout in 69 degree water, you know, so basic things like that to, you know, the lymphatic system of a brook trout, you know, so it's, it's a high range of things. And I've actually found that people are quite interested in, in more of the technical physiological aspects of fish education. And, and, uh, I don't know, I think it's, maybe it's, it's just cool and and human intrigue, you know, that, that people are, are grabbing onto and, and, and enjoying. So, So that's it. Yeah, and we got blogs. Um, we have some videos out there and and yeah, so that that's kind of scattered all throughout, but the education is out there to to grab.
0: Gotcha. And do you guys cover like as far as the the fish, the water, your kind of home waters, you guys cover a lot of Maine or do you guys stick down south mostly?
1: We pretty much cover Maine ish. Um, pretty much all the fish, although a lot of the fish education is universal, you know, like brook trout, rainbow trout, brown trout, they all have this sort of temperature tolerance, but it's roughly the same. You know, it's like they all get stressed around 70 degrees, you know, and, and things like that. So a lot of it is universal. Um, and I definitely try to mix it up between warm water fish, cold water fish, uh, salt water fish, freshwater fish, you know, so I mix it up. I wouldn't say that it's specifically tailored to Maine.
0: Yeah, Um, I you all. More, you yeah, it all. that's awesome. Oh, yeah. 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 We had, uh, I'm not sure if you know, uh, Gord Pizer. He talked about, he was a research biologist and talked a lot of, especially with musky. He focuses on mm-hmm. musky and he talked a lot about, um, he kind of had a, a little bit of a negative, you know, down on kind of where things are going. He was talking about the water temperatures and things like that. What's your take when you look in Maine overall, as far as the conservation stuff, do you, are you more positive or do you see this thing kind of tanking on us?
1: I am an ecologist by trade i'm actually I have two talks lined up um, to give conservation talks at uh, two you know fairly good sized events um, for fish I'm fairly negative as far as cold water fish are concerned and musky kind of fall into that category um, warm water fish on the other hand I have great aspirations for fish that can tolerate warmer temperatures. Um, So, I mean, I guess it depends what side of the coin you're looking at, you know, Um, how things are like, we have this sense of we want things to stay the way they are, or achieve how they were. And as an ecologist, that's, that's not the mindset you can have, because in the future, Things will never be as they were. Circumstances change, environmental conditions change, the world changes. And so, you know, this ideology of keeping things the same or achieving the glory days, that's those, I just don't even think about those because it's not realistic. It's just not realistic the way things are going. Um, so in Maine, you know, brook trout are. I think what Maine is known for is is our, our brook trout. We have, you Great know, brook more brook trout, yeah, and more native brook trout than pretty much any any uh, anyone out there. So the story of brook trout has been diminishing um for the past hundred years or so. And to to think that it would change moving forward for the next hundred years is kinda pie in the sky, you know, kind of silly. Um I think there are things that we can be doing, but ultimately, it's going to be extremely challenging, if not impossible, to to halt the recession of Brook Trout. They've they've been receding um, northward, you know, in native populations. That is,
0: what is something do you think you can we could be doing that would help uh, turn that tide a little bit?
1: For sure, one great thing would be um, habitat improvement, and specifically. Cold water reservoirs or improved shade. So there's a riparian systems are basically the edges, that the trees that are along the edges of our rivers. And because of Maine's logging history, our riparian zones have been pretty severely damaged. Um, so if you go up north to basically sort of an untouched stream, if you will. You'll see that there's a ton of shade and there's shrubs along the shoreline. It's actually very hard to fly fish it because there's so many trees and shrubs overhanging. But Brook Trail thrive there because it's shaded all year round. It never sees the sun. And so it keeps the water very, very cold. Um, as you move down south, there's been more development, more deforestation. And so these riparian zones are quite damaged. And they're not providing the same amount of shade that they used to. And so if you could add shade, then you could provide these sort of cold water thermal refugees for brook trout. um, And that definitely would help improve their populations because it's during the warmer months. And, you know, as in Maine is like many other places, it's been stricken with drought for several years now. And so during those summer months, the August, July some of these rivers where brook trout can't escape are hitting 72, 75, even warmer than that. And they simply can't tolerate that um, metabolically. So they they pass away, they die. And so if you could improve habitat, then that would definitely slow the recession of brook trout moving northward. I don't think it would f- solve it. You know, it's not a it's it's more of a band-aid, but um, there's merit in putting Band-Aids over things, I think.
0: What are the species that uh, more of the warm water popular uh, fish that people you know, are, are would see a benefit from these changes in water temps?
1: Smallmouth bass are n- number one. And Maine has already like a prolific smallmouth bass fishery. Lefty Cray said that his favorite smallmouth bass river fishing was in Maine on, on the Androscoggin. And for good reason. Because it's unbelievable. In a day, you can catch a hundred easily. Like even a novice angler could catch a hundred, and you have the chance of catching a four or five, six-pound smallmouth bass in some like decent current. You know, so they are going to. They're already thriving. It's already. They're all. They're in our three major water systems: the Kennebec, Penobscot, and Androscoggin. And they're already throughout all those systems. And so they're only going to expand their reach moving forward. And they are going to just basically take over. In a thousand years, if if things progress as they are, smallmouth will be in every watershed in the state, you know. And that that will be that that will be it.
0: With over forty years of experience in coffee, the English Coffee team is here to serve you. Every step of the way, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. They are responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices. You can rest easy knowing you are doing your part. And uh, like I've said before, they roast it and they ship it within 48 hours. 48 hours. And you know, um, I'm actually drinking coffee right now and it's super late in the evening. And I've got that thing where I can drink coffee and still sleep. Raise your hand if you're like me. But I definitely love coffee, and Angler's is the coffee that I love most. And uh, and it's a no-brainer. Angler's is doing good stuff, giving back to great companies, uh, great fly fishing companies, great conservation groups, and they have probably the best coffee out there. So it's a pretty easy call. If you want to um, step it up a bit, this is it. This is a pretty easy one to do. This is like... um, it's kind of like your 1% for the planet, Angler's Coffee style. This time, step up to better coffee and more impact for the fish, species, and causes we all love. Head over to wetflyswing.com anglers right now to get a great bag of greatness to your door. That's Angler's, A-N-G-L-E-R-S. Let's make a change today for great coffee. But talk about that, what is the... What are the uh, st- the challenges, or how are muskie doing currently? Well, muskie are doing great in Maine. Kind of. There's it's a, it's
1: first off, may musky get looked at with kind of a negative connotation. I love them. Oh, they I'm do. All, why, why is that? Yeah, oh, yeah, big time. Because so muskie are not native here; they're invasive.
0: Oh, right. Of course, that's that's the biggest thing.
1: Uh, what about smallmouth bass? They also are invasive, and and I the public looks at them with a, I think, a a more, I don't know, benevolent eye than the state fisheries management does. Um, The state, they don't really talk about, you know, opportunities a lot for invasive species. Um, Because in one of their uh, uh, bylaws, it says, we don't, you know, we don't manage for invasive species. But the, the public kind of knows like, wow, it's a great opportunity. We want to leave trout alone in the summer because it's, you know, it's in the summer and they're cold water fish. And so they sort of turn the gears in August, July, um, and even now in September um, towards these warm water fish,
0: you know. What would be your take? I've heard people say before, you know, just like on the trees, you said, you know, I mean, you've got these trees. um, that are the forests, you know, and, and I'm kind of out on the other side, right? We're actually similarly um you know we've got some old growth forests, things like that, and you know I've had people say, "Hey, what you know if we lose all the old growth trees right or, or the big trees is that mm-hmm. you know is that a problem right like mm-hmm. what is the obviously we know that's not a good thing, but you know is it still the same place and and I guess you can go the species as well, right? you've got these native fish, if we lose all of them, is it still is it still kind of the same place? What what are we losing? I mean, it sounds like you feel like you know what it's just part of the change, and there's not much we can do about it. So we should kind of embrace it, almost right. I mean, do our best, but embrace it a little bit.
1: Right, right. We don't want to diminish anything. The thing is, so ten thousand years ago, right where I'm sitting right now, talking to you, there would have been about a mile thick sheet of ice above my head.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. So it's all re- relative, to depending on the yeah. Yeah. It's it's all relative,
1: and and. Now, the issue is that that's sort of nature doing her thing, you know, whereas now it's anthropogenic and, and that's the biggest difference. And that's why people get the rub. It's like, well, it's not it's not the world just
0: turning. It's it's us doing it. Well, and then you can get into the the topics of right. So you got all this stuff going with loss of native species and then you can start talking about climate change.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You got that right.
0: whole right. So the, there's a whole thing of like, right, what is going on there? Um, so I guess this is a can of worms, right? There's a, there's a big, lots of topics here. Of course, of course, there's tons of topic. And so, you know, it's,
1: it'll be interesting. I think that what will end up happening to a lot of fisheries, um, managers around the country is they will be forced if they haven't already, they will be forced to start managing for invasive species. They'll be forced to.
0: Yeah. And they are already still, that's happening, I think. I think some people are, you know, there's lots of people like, you know, smallmouth bass, people love smallmouth bass. I mean, you can yeah. see it, right? So I think that, you know, it's a great fish. People love them. So to say we're we're not going to fish for them, right, that kind of seems crazy. Right.
1: It's just right. So it's, you know, their hands will be forced. And, and as they kind of are with muskie in Maine. So what happened is in the 70s, um, Canada uh, stalked a lake that I believe— didn't have musky, but they, it, they stocked musky in it um, because, you know, musky are native to, to ranges in Canada. And, and so this lake actually had access to the St. John River, which borders Maine and Canada on the Northern end. The St. John River is, is also one of our largest rivers. Um, and it's almost entirely undammed, which is awesome. You know, it's super cool. If you go up there, I believe everyone should go up there at least once in their life. It's like truly, truly untouched wilderness, you know? And so when you go up there, it's amazing. But Muskie made their way into the St. John, which has access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of rivers.
0: Oh, and what's the closest town up there? Just give us an idea of the St. John's.
1: Well, there's Allagash, Caribou, Madawaska. I I don't know, 18R12 or something like that. You know, it's up there. Um, from my house to drive up there, it's seven hours North. And so it's up there. So, you know, muskie made their way, but the St. John was a prolific brook trout and salmon river in before, uh, uh, muskie got there. So what happened, muskie got there and obviously they snacked on all the brook trout and salmon and brook trout and salmon went away. So, old timers that were fishing the St. John in the 70s and the 60s, they see musky as, you know, the devil. The de- right? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I never got that. You know, I just love fishing for them. And so, you know, I don't see him as the devil. I actually see them as the opposite. I see them as a great opportunity. Once like a super rare fishery that we have here that doesn't just exist anywhere, you know, like naturally producing musky in in these large river systems and even really small river systems here in maine you can go up sort of what looks like a blue ribbon trout stream you know 30 feet wide 25 feet wide you can kind of walk the bank and you can catch a 40 inch muskie in these in these streams it's incredible so you know i look at them as it's pretty it's a cool opportunity you do have to work a little harder but it's it's a cool opportunity
0: that's amazing, yeah. So, what? Let's let's dig into that a little bit on on this fishing. So, what? This sounds pretty unique. So, how? And are these these are pretty small streams, or a mix of sizes of streams. The
1: the Saint John is quite large. It's one of you know it's it's a very very large river, um, but its tributaries. A lot of them are just small. What you would think of prime, you know, sort of like brook trout streams or any blue ribbon trout stream, right?
0: Right. So the nice, whatever, 50 foot, hundred foot, something like that.
1: Yes. Yeah. A lot of them, a lot of them are like that. And in every single one, they're a musky.
0: Wow. And yeah, it's incredible. What is the, what is on musky? Can you give us a little snippet, like on the life history of musky, like up here, what, what are they doing?
1: Yeah. So like, you know, musky, um, after are whatever they're, they're laid, um, in the spring and then they're born they they're really fast growing to start really really fast growing they're incredibly voracious uh predators you know as little fish in their first couple of years so they really devour everything that they can anything that they can fit in their mouth they're trying to do that in the first couple of years
0: so they're loving the brook trout uh fry all everything fry, yeah eggs uh nymphs anything you know and so
1: People are often surprised at that because Muskie are notorious for not biting. you know Once they hit a certain age, um, they're in these tributaries they can either leave um, or they can stay or they can go whatever. They cruise around. Yeah, they're an exploratory species is how we kind of refer to them. So they they're not you know they're not super stagnant when they're young. So they go and they find their place where they're comfortable and maybe there's enough food or there's less competition or whatever. And then they start, to, they hit a point after the first couple of years where they start to really slow down their growth. And this sort of brings into the fact that, okay, they slow down their growth. They're sort of ambush predators now, rather than just sort of scavenging, you know, running around. They're sort of ambush. So they sort of sit and wait in these weeds. And this is where they start to slow down their, uh, their, their biting rates, right? So if you're fishing for them when they hit that like 20 inch mark, they really are selective in what they're eating. So now they're eating uh, uh, very, very slowly, and they're growing slowly, and they can live for quite some time. I don't know the extent of the length, but I've seen some studies that have found 20 plus year old fish. So they're, they they can live quite a long time, um, but they sit in these weedy areas. So in our little streams, you know, There's not a whole lot of vegetation. They often will use like a down log or rocks or something to hide around. And uh, usually when people are fishing for muskie, they'll use really, really large flies, like 14-inch, you know, Bufords or something crazy like that. Especially in the Midwest, these monster muskies in the Great Lakes or wherever, they'll, they'll use these massive flies. And so in Maine, because they're in these sort of smaller river systems, their food source is also quite small. There's not a lot of 14-inch suckers lying around in these little tributaries, you know, in these these 50-foot streams. So up here, we're using flies that are like four to six inches. I've had most success, you know, very small to match sort of the bait that's around.
0: The bait is just any of those little, you know, resident fish, whatever, but they just don't get huge.
1: Right. They don't get, it's like golden shiners, common shiners, black nose days, pearl days, you know, maybe some perch every now and then sunfish. Um, so yeah, so nothing too big, you know, nothing too big. And so when they, they just sort of do that and they sort of have these repetitions where they have these spring spots where they go to maybe spawn. Um, and then they have their summer spots. They are a cold water fish. They really don't like hot temperatures. They, They're not as, I would say, they're not as sensitive as, say, a brook trout, but they really prefer cold water. And so in the summertime, they find these thermal refugees, which there are many um, on the St. John, especially. Um, So what will happen is in the summer, St. John actually gets pretty low. So there's pockets, you know, deep pockets of water. But if they can't find that, they'll head up to the tributaries. And this is like the best time to go find them in these really small streams. And the tributaries are a little colder um, than the big river. And so what they do is they actively, they'll seek out like the mouth of the tributaries or they'll go way up into the tributaries where the water's colder. So you can, you know, walk the shoreline and sort of cast in these pockets or alongside weeds. And, you know, instead of euro your nymphing, you're using, you know, a, a 10 weight and a, a six inch bulkhead, you know. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's so unique. It's really unique. Again, the fishing—it's not like you're going to catch a hundred in a day. You know, you're lucky to catch one or two in a day. But uh, when it happens, it's like—it's—it's it's un- unbelievable.
0: How are you fishing for these guys? Is this um, talk about that a little bit? What's the what's the gear? What's the line? What what are the, You talked about the flies, and then how are you kind of uh, casting, stripping all that?
1: Yeah. So it it doesn't really matter. There are a few lakes up there too that hold a lot of musky. Glacier Lake is. One of them, I'm not too worried about spot burning because it's so far away. It's so isolated that like, you know, to get there, it's an extraordinary feat just to get there.
0: <laughs> oh, really? So if somebody was, what if somebody was flying in to get there, what would it take? They would fly in and it'd be a, a, a full deal. It'd almost be like, cause you guys aren't far up North, right? To get to the, what's that famous area called up there uh, in Canada? La- Labrador, Labrador.
1: Yeah, oh yes. Labrador. Yeah. What they'd have to do, um, is they'd have to fly into either Portland, Maine, or Bangor. I don't think there are any, like, you know, if you're coming from out of state, I don't think that you can fly more north than that. Maybe you can. I'm sure you can, but... And actually, it might be quicker to go to Canada. It'd be quicker, I think, from Quebec than Bangor. (laughs) So, but either way, whatever. I would just go to Bangor, probably. And then um, they'd have to drive about... Four hours and eh, maybe more than that, four or five hours north from there. And then they'd be at the St. John. Now, you can either fish western uh, or eastern. Um, eastern, there's less little tributaries. There's more like uh, you're more fishing the big river. The St. John gets a little wider because, you know, as it gets closer to the ocean, it gets a little wider. But those little tributaries in the lakes, they're sort of more to the west. Um, and they're really near Allagash, which is a great famous town. And it's, you know, got a population of like, I don't know, 300 or something and, and, uh, very, very untouched wilderness. And then from the West of there is the Northern Maine woods, um, which are strictly owned by pretty much just logging companies. And they let you, they let the public use it though. And it's like uh, 20 bucks for the day and you can go and do whatever you want. And then from there, you'd have to drive another hour, and a half or two hours to get to Glacier. It's pretty much dirt road the whole time, um, and there's a primitive launch, so you couldn't really bring a boat in there. What we do is we bring a canoe um, with an electric trolling motor on it, um, and that allows us to get around for the day. We bring a couple batteries, and, and off we go.
0: So yeah, so I'm not too worried about spot burning it. That's good. Well, I know we got a. There's a few people at least listening I know that are all about you know they're getting close to retiring. Yeah. They got their, they got their, their camper, whatever it is, and they're ready to roll. Yeah. So I know there'll be a couple it, people that are going to try to hit this up.
1: Yeah. And I actually think it'd be good. It's good for the area, you know, um, because it doesn't get fished hard and there's, you know, it could use another, know, it, it could have another thousand anglers
0: and still wouldn't be fished hard. Right. It wouldn't hurt us. So yeah, a thousand people going here isn't going to affect this no, area. No. And then, but what it would be good is bringing a little economic boost to
1: Allagash to that region. Um, because they're always looking for, you know, a little economic boost. So I'm like, go, go spend your money there. Like, you know, help the people out, you know? So the gear, so I use either a nine or 10 weight, um, because I hooked up with a fish one time on an eight weight and it very, very nearly snapped my rod and I, I could not stop it. And so, yeah. So I said, I'm never making that mistake again. Nine foot, nine weight. Yep. Nine foot, nine weight. If for the lakes, nine foot, nine weight, if there was like a nine foot, uh, sorry, a seven foot, nine weight out there.
0: Oh wow. Seven foot, nine weight.
1: Yeah. If anyone wants to make me a seven foot, nine weight it would be perfect for like little those little streams where the muskie are. But um but yeah then I use um I make my own leaders and they're four feet long with uh one foot section um to start I have a little uh clip a little bait clip or bite clip or whatever and then I have 40 pound steel leader for one foot and then I have a 40 pound mono for three feet you can buy like Rio has a bite, you know. Rio has like a bite guard or a bite wire leader, totally fine. But they don't make them in like four feet, really short, really short leaders. Um, and then I'm depending on the water that the line, the the actual fly line that that varies big time. Um, usually, always sinking line. I, I I haven't had good luck on on top, um, so I usually always sinking line. But that can differ from you know three inch per second line to 450 grains you know it, it just depends on where you're fishing the lake i tend to like to get a little deeper because there are some deeper spots whereas the the tributaries and streams they're not very deep you know just a couple feet at most so
0: great so those fish in the streams they're sitting down where are they are they kind of down hanging more towards the bottom and you have to get down a little bit towards them
1: Yeah, I, we've actually, last year was pretty cool. We had something that we, we hadn't seen before, but we actually were, the the conditions were unbelievable, really, really clear. And we saw several muskie hugging the bank, like in like just a couple inches of water. And they just like, there was like, you know, a little patch of weeds and maybe four inches of water. And there'd be like a 36 inch muskie sitting there. And I was like, oh my gosh, we never fish there. You know, I was like, we always throw it to the middle, you know, and retrieve, it's like, wow, maybe we should think about how we're doing this. And so, um, so yeah, so I very slow sink three inches per second, intermediate, some slow intermediate or something like that. Um, you could even, you could probably get away with floating line up there because your fly and the leader itself, that steel leader, they sink a little bit on their own, you know, cause you're using some decent stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and then the real, you know, Muskie aren't notorious runners; they're they're not gonna run very far. You know, occasionally if you hook into a really big one, you might, but ninety nine percent of them, they're not. You know, peeling you off like a striper or something. You know, or a bluefish. They're not peeling you off. Um, they're just gonna sit there and tug really, really hard. And uh, so the reel is whatever it doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, and then the flies. Um, that phew, I wish I had a better. <laughs> I wish I had a better suggestion, but muskies seem to be, you know, more temperamental than a two-year-old child. Like they, they, they just seem to do what they want when they want and how they want to. So flies, again, we've had much better success with smaller flies up there, but for people who are fishing for muskie elsewhere, I would say match the bait size. Like what's your most common bait size around? Is it large suckers? Is it small bait fish? So that's why we stick to like four to maybe six, seven inch flies. And, uh, the basic stuff, anything with deer hair is preferred something bulky and, you know, pushes a lot of water because musky primarily feed, um, by feeling first. So they have a lateral line down their side. They feel changes in pressure, uh, uh in the water and that sort of signals to them, Oh, Hey, something is moving around me. Then they have, you know, the, they have sort of forward facing sight where they have these two grooves down the front of their bill. And it allows them to sort of look for things sort of like a a binocular. So it allows them to really hone in on what's out front of them, um, compared to say something like a sunfish where their eyes are on the side of their head and they, they can't really see what's out front of them at, at all. They're just looking all around them to try to see what's coming to eat me. So muskies sit in the weeds and, and wait and looking down their, their sort of binocular lenses there. And if you just get the fly to go exactly where they need it to be, then that's when they, they strike.
0: And are you, are you spotting these fish and then, you know, casting to them or is this more blind casting? Sometimes.
1: I would say it seems like the ones, it almost... It almost seems like muskie are are students of their river. And when you see one, we almost never catch it. (laughs) Yeah, It seems like they're just doing something different. Like if they're really shallow, maybe they're warming up. Maybe they're, they're studying the shores for, you know, if I go and sit in the middle of this river, will I be able to attack this area? It honestly looks like they're studying the lay of the land. And so, Most of the time, what happens is we get blind strikes, Um, you know, you're swimming your fly just at the perfect angle, you know, underneath a log, and a muskie hops out and strikes at it. The other thing is, muskie follow flies. Again, almost like they're studying it. They follow it with such a calm demeanor. And they'll be, you know, you'll be pulling your fly in, and like a ghost, they will appear Out of nowhere, just behind your fly, looking at it with this like really relaxed behavior, you know, almost like like a dog following its own.
0: Trestle, who has earned an exceptional reputation over the past few years in the fly fishing industry due to the popularity of their telescopic fly rod roof racks and statement making artist series apparel lines. Their latest release for 2023 is the Jerion Universal Bike Rack Packing System, a brand new way to transport your fly fishing and outdoor gear. The Jerion will give any modern bike the ability to bring 30 pounds of gear with its front and rear articulated racks. Whether you ride a full suspension mountain bike, an e-bike, or even a carbon fiber road bike, the Jerion will get you and your fishing gear further faster and have much more fun along the way. I can tell you this has been a big struggle for me. I've been riding my bike, uh, both road bikes and mountain bikes, and had lots of issues over the years packing my gear, whether that's uh, crappy uh, storage on the back or a trailer that's just too big and bulky. So I'm excited to share this packing system, which is going to make it way more convenient and accessible to get out to the places you need to go. You can learn more about how Trestle is transforming the way you access your favorite water, backcountry hunting zones, and camping spots. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now and be the first on the water and the farthest upstream and away from the crowds. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. Yeah, they look kind of like a dog, don't they? They they kind of remind you.
1: Yeah, and so it's like super, super calm. And there's a technique if you're in... Um, a boat is called a figure eight. And this is why you want really, really short leaders is because what you do is you get to your leader and you start doing, you dip your rod tip right in the water, like straight down, a couple feet down, and you start doing a figure eight pattern. And this almost sort of entices them like, oh, this is trying to get away from me and I don't want it to get away from me. And so we've had luck with that. And when we're on the You know, on these little streams, you can't do the figure eights. All we do is sort of just jig it, like
0: you're just jigging it to the left, and then you bring it back to the right. Right. So you can do the stream. So no figure eight in the streams that we're talking about, but you can just jig it and jerk it around. Yeah, and
1: that's why I would want a seven-foot rod because to to even jig a nine-foot rod, it's really hard to like get on top of it. You know, and what ends up happening is you might dig your rod right into the you know into the gravel and then boom there goes your tip so let's you know so if a seven foot rod much easier to handle and maneuver in these small situations um, that 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 would give you a great advantage you know but yeah so so it's um there's a lot of different environments to fish and that requires adapting your strategy you know to each of these different sort of sort of environments and uh yeah it brings up a really really unique fishery that just doesn't exist really elsewhere in, in, in the world. And, and it's very, it's not well known, you know, it's not well known. Even to Mainers, it's not well known.
0: Right. No. Yeah. You know, definitely the muskie are not the first. It's like you said, it's brook trout, probably, you know, small There's a bunch of species. I mean, what are the, what are the species probably that are ahead of muskie on the list in Maine that people probably know more about, or you hear more about?
1: Salmon for sure. Salmon are a Landlocked salmon. We, again, have a prolific landlocked salmon fishery.
0: These are Atlantic salmon, landlocked.
1: Yes. Yeah. They're, yeah. Salmo salar. Yeah. They're the, they're the same species as as our, our sea run uh, uh, Atlantic, but they just are landlocked. Um, then probably lake trout or togue, as, as Mainers call them. That's another big one. Um, a lot of people troll for them. What,
0: what do Mainers call them?
1: We call them togue. Togue. Yes. Most people call them lake trout, but we call them togue. Okay. Um, togue. Yeah. Good. I, I don't know the origin of that. So don't, don't ask yep. me. <laughs> <belt>. <laughs> uh, yeah. Growing up, that's what I call them. Okay. You know, they call them togue. Yeah. Um, so there, there had a lot of people troll for them. Um, you can catch them right. They follow smelt around right after ice out as a smelter looking to go upstream. So you can actually catch them in the spring sort of going up streams after smelt. It's a pretty, it's a, a quick and fleeting opportunity, but it, it is there. Um, that then probably our stocked rainbow and browns are even ahead of them. I would say for sure. Um, Cause the state does a lot of stocking, especially in Southern Southern Maine, wow. um, a lot of Brown and rainbow trout stocking. And, and uh, so those are probably ahead of it. And then I would say even, you know, during the summer striped bass, obviously are, are definitely ahead um once they arrive here they you can you know in in the months of like june july and august you can find me on a beach that's that's yeah Yeah. strikers are it's hard to beat sand between your toes you know right that that is hard to beat yeah but uh yeah pretty much and then i would say even pike so we have pike which are another very very contentious topic here in maine but we have really good size pike um and uh in very very good numbers, and uh, I would say even those are probably ahead. They're they're actually probably the last fish. Oh, really? <laughs> on yeah, on like the the radar of people who fish, you know, they're probably the last fish.
0: That's right, and maybe the hardest, right? The the hardest one to catch, probably.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure, the hardest, and that's that's really why I like chasing them. You know, i I've fished for I fish about like two hundred days a year um, for about seven eight years running now and so you know i've been out there quite a bit and the challenge i like catching brook trout and i like catching salmon but the challenge is just not there once you figure it out you you know you do it for a year or two you sort of lose that lust because there's less of a challenge i don't want to say no challenge but less of a challenge
0: you mean less of a challenge for which species for like brook trout salmon. Yeah, yeah, like you, you figured it out, right? Musky, you're never going to be like, it can knock you down any day. You might be any skunked day. any day. Yeah, any day, you know. Two years
1: or three, three years. Three years ago, I went for, we fished for four and a half days straight. 12-hour days, four and a half days straight. I had one bite and that was it. Didn't catch it.
0: That, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: it's hard, you know. It, so it it tests you physically, mentally and emotionally, you know, it really tests you. And I I like that.
0: What do you think with, um, you know, muskie and pike, you know, those are two similar species and all that, but they're quite a bit different. I mean, like why, why is the muskie so much harder? Why does it not eat? It seems like it doesn't eat as much as the pike. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I would say it's all about behavior. You know, people don't really think of fish as having mental behaviors. They think of them having Physical behaviors, you know, okay, I got to go spawn, so I go over here, or the water's too warm, so I go over here, right? These are physical behaviors. But fish have mental behaviors just like any other animal, right? Just like a cat or a dog, you know, or a bird, they have mental behaviors. And when you look at sort of the brain chemistry of a pike, there are certain aspects to it that make it more gregarious or more, or more sort of more risk taking, you know. Muskie don't. Their behavior is very conserved. They are very reserved. They don't want to expose themselves where pike feel, you know, more robust about exposing themselves. And so it it goes down to this sort of mental behavior that, you know, I'm sure that there are some muskie out there that bite more frequently than others because there are small variations between individuals and habitat too
0: probably right depending on the
1: the area for sure for sure and so it's like you know so it's really breaks down to sort of this mental behavior between pike and muskie where muskie are just not apt to chase a fly they're just not apt to, you know and and pike don't care what's running yeah. out of their face they're going after it you know it's like
0: almost like a um you know you look at Browns like for example the salmonids right brown trout yeah. and rainbow trout you know there's definitely they will be in the same stream you know, mm. and browns definitely act differently than rainbows, right? They're, they mm. take flies differently. They're holding, right? All that. And they're basically very similar, kind of like a pike. Well, I guess right. brown trout rainbow is a little bit different, but, you know, similar as yeah. far as yeah.
1: families. Well, very close. You know, even the biggest difference I think is for us is brown trout and salmon, because um, they are very closely related. Salmo Truda and Salmo salar. Yeah, you know? yeah so that's they're, right. They're, they're like first cousins. And salmon... Run and jump and are acrobatic and are 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 very energetic. Whereas brown trout, you know, here in Maine we find they're they dig, you know, they dig and they they're bullies and they're not as not as acrobatic as the salmon, right? They're not going to do like seven to ten jumps when you hook into one, right? Salmon are like, get me out of as soon as you hook them, they're like, I want to leave the water immediately, yeah. you know. It's yeah. Like? Yeah. So there are like you know, there's different behaviors, there's different behaviors, and so yeah, I think that's, that's the difference
0: there between the pike and the motor. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's hear, I want to dig into the podcast here in a second, because I know you have, uh, uh, in the film, right. We, I want to talk a little bit about that, but, um, sure. so we talked about, you know, these species. So what is your list? So, so if you have to like categorize it, your, your priorities, as far as your fishing, what's number one through seven or eight or whatever you have here?
1: Oh boy. I hope. People from Maine probably are not super thrilled with my lip. My number well, one is <laughs> my number one is muskie for sure. It is okay. For sure, yeah, my number two is stripers. Okay, stripers are just yeah a big striper. Like oh, it's just unbelievable. Um, number three is probably pike. Okay, because um, they get very big. You know, I feel as I as I age, I feel like I'm turning into a big fish
0: guy. Right, big fish guy and a predator guy.
1: You know, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm all about teeth and predators.
1: Um, number four is smallmouth. Yep. They're just so crazy. If you're cause like, you know, we all fish, so part of it is we do like to catch these things, you know, that is part of it. Smallmouth, if you know where you're going, you can catch a hundred in a day, you know. So it's like that's cool. Then I'll say, What am I at? Four. So yep. five salmon. For sure. Salmon yeah. are, they're just so acrobatic. It's, it's, impre- it's impressive. It's impressive. Um, six, uh, rainbows. Love rainbows. Lake rainbows, like fishing chironomids. Right. I, I, I wish I did that more. You know, yeah. balance. So you love the still water too. You, you got the still yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I don't do it enough. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I wish I did
0: this more this year. Yeah. You got to check out, I always give a shout out to Phil Roy. Cause he's our guy, you know, he's kind of on the other side of the country, but he's doing our say, uh, section on the podcast for Stillwater now. So he's yep. actually hosting. So he's got this ba- And I love every time he talks because the balance leeches, all that stuff is just, yeah, it's, it's so different than how I grew up fishing Stillwaters. Yes.
1: Same. And it, yeah. It's, so I'd say it's still intriguing for me. You know, there are still puzzles out there that I've yet to solve and that I think it's very interesting. Um. Yeah, so rainbows, and then I guess probably probably brook trout.
0: There you go. So they're gonna make the they're gonna make the uh, not at the end of the list. Yeah, they, I think they're on it, but they're very very close to the bottom. What about we got to throw uh, lake trout and browns in here? Lake trout.
1: Boy, they are fun to catch, but it's so fleeting. It's such a short. Mm-hmm. They're fun to catch because they're they're big and they fight yeah. hard, but and then browns. I'll, I'll put them in browns. they probably And then top. add one
0: more because we got we got nine now. What would be a tenth species we didn't add here? Oh, tenth species.
1: You know what's underestimated is pickerel. Oh people pickerel. are like, oh I hate pickerel because they're right. slime and they stink, but it's another one where like they can get pretty good size, like five, six, you know, pounds and And they fight pretty hard and yeah, they, they can be, they can be electric and they're easy to catch. You know, it's one of those like, yeah, it's, you can just go out and have an easy day, you know.
0: Pickerel. That's awesome. Yeah. That's one you don't hear about. We haven't talked, we have to do a a pickerel episode. What about, um, what about, uh, walleye? Is that a species that's not out there? We do not have them up here. Just not warm enough. Too cold.
1: Yeah. Too cold. And, you know, maybe one day.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's part of our start. Yeah, one day we'll be have we will have walleye here. Yeah. Once the uh, once it warms up, then the ice sheets will come back here in another ten thousand years as well. Right. Yeah. So okay, good. Well, let's hear. So this in the film. I mean, I've been hearing a lot about this out there. It's it's a great title for a show. I'm always interested because obviously podcasting is our thing. I love hearing about that. Why why the podcast and how is it going?
1: Um, the podcast is great. The title in the film, uh, came from. Basically what I wanted the podcast to be about was to talk about things that might be going on that have two sides to it, you know? Um, and so that's where I kind of went with in the film. Um, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite out of the water and it's not really quite in the water. Gotcha. In between. Yeah, it's kind of in between. And so I like to bring up topics, um, mostly main, mostly main Northeast, um, that are, uh, uh, sticky you Mm. know
0: controversial
1: yeah very very controversial
0: to well i say controversial controversial to the fly fishing world you know um what would be one of those big topics you guys have put out there that was pretty you know controversial or whatever
1: yeah i'll I'll, so we're about to start our third season and we just recorded the first episode Um, we have not released it so that will be coming out oh in just a couple days in five days They're next monday and, uh, and the uh, state management, Inland Fisheries and Wildlife uh, of Maine, um, did uh, their own sort of study on whether or not implementing hudowl regulations uh, would benefit our salmonids and our brook trout.
0: Which is hudowl is basically they, during the hot part of the season, it, they, you can't fish essentially, or hot part of the day.
1: Correct. Correct. They, they called it temperature based regulations, but you know, they used who throughout the paper. Um, and so, you know, if you're just your average person, you're probably not going to read that paper. Um, and then even if you are reading it, you're not a scientist, you know? Um, and so you might not understand some of the nuances that are going on there. So what we did was I went through, I, I host it with my co uh, Weibo. He, he's a good, good, good friend of mine he um we went through it basically line by line and described to people what they were suggesting and whether or not it made sense and so we basically go through it and describe it i don't want to don't want to spoil it too much but right. uh, it's we i'll say this we do not agree <laughs> yeah
0: you don't agree with the hudao regulations basically we don't well we don't agree with what they Proposed. Gotcha. So you. So yeah. You're not against Hudal, uh, but just the the way they proposed it. What is the title of the just because when the, when this goes out, I'm sure this episode that you have will be out. Well, Do you know what the title is there? Oh, I think it's the title
1: is um, IFNW Hudal Regulations.
0: Okay. Yeah. Hudal. Good. Good. We'll we'll put a link. We'll get a link out in the show notes to that so we can all listen to it and, uh, and dig into it. Yeah. And you have a good mixture of topics, right? You, you cover a lot of things kind of oh, yeah. similarly yeah. like you do on, um, you know, you've got lots of different species, lots of topics and, uh, in, and on your blog as well. Right. You've got some things over there where you talk about different tips and, you know, issues, right? It's a, it's a good mix. Where, where do you guys like on your topic? So like, let let's just stick on the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you choose that next topic?
1: We really try to stay with a contemporary topic, you know, like what's going on right now, right? So these Houdal regulations came out a couple months ago. Um, we are going to talk about, I have a, a, an interview coming up. We're going to talk about the new striped bass regulations that are being proposed um, for, for the East Coast. Um, we have uh, a couple fish biologists that we're going to interview that are sort of in the daily mix of what's going on in Maine. So we try to stay contemporary, you know, like, well, what's, what's sort of the, the attracting topic of the day, you know, and that's sort of how we go about it. It's, um, and then when that, when there's nothing going on, um, although usually there is something going on, when there's nothing going on, then we usually put out an educational piece about like, let's talk about Pike and everything Pike in Maine when did they first arrive here? How'd they get here? What's their life history? How do you fish for them? What do you use to fish for them? You know, stuff, stuff like that, educational, uh, um, stuff. So a lot of people that have been listening have, you know, the, the, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten have been really, really, um, emotional, which is great. I'm like, that's great. That's exactly what I kind of wanted to do. I wanted it to be sort of a, an emotional driver, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so it's great. Um, and it's been getting bigger and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'll say I didn't expect to make it three seasons. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Three seasons. It was kind of one of those things where we were just like, well, I don't
1: know, just something to do with a buddy, you know, to hang out and, and it turned into something.
0: You enjoy sitting down for a podcast. Oh, I love it. Do you love it more than writing a blog post? Oh, like a million times more. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> a because you know,
1: in my day job, I do so much writing and analyzing and editing and so many student papers, and, and I'm just like, I just want to talk, you know, I just want to talk and talk and talk, and so yeah, so
0: that's awesome. So, yeah,
1: podcasting is where it's at.
0: There you go. And are you guys doing? Uh, how often are you uh, releasing episodes? We release one every two weeks. Yep, one every two weeks. Yeah, one every two weeks, and we have twelve
1: episodes in a season, and uh, yeah, I. I just, uh, my buddy that I do it with, he's a dad of two and I just had my first child not too long ago. So,
0: mm, you know, congrats. We'd like
1: to, we're like, man, we'd love to do this every week. And then, you know, when we try to do that, we're like, ah, I got practice. Uh, I got, you know, it's this going yeah.
0: on. Yeah. It's yeah. Like super, super. It's yeah. I think one every two weeks is definitely, as long as you're consistent, that's the key yeah. because people, obviously yeah. you're probably seeing it right. They are yeah. expecting that episode to come out right on that day whatever it is. So eh, cool. Well, let's, I want to hear a little bit of a, just on the tech end. So, because I always love to help get people that are, you know, into podcasting as well. What's your, who who is your podcast host who's hosting your files? Is it Buzzsprout?
1: Yes, that is correct. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I know a little bit about the podcasting space. So I, but I love Buzzsprout. These guys talk about education. Um, we have another podcast we do and I had the founder of Buzzsprout on, Oh nice! And, uh, and uh, yeah, and he told the whole story of creating Buzzsprout and he's, uh, Kevin, he's awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I think so. That's one big thing, right? So you get a good, get a good host. And my recommendation is always pay all the free hosts. They never last. So you want to oh, pay some yeah. money. Yeah.
1: Um, we, cause well, like the biggest thing for me has been audio. Like, you know, what, what's the best way to get audio when we first started? It absolutely sucked. You know, it was just, miserable.
0: that's an everybody, right?
1: Yeah, and then so we upgraded our mics, and then uh, you know Buzzfeed had like a, 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 you could buy a small package, and it basically went through the audio and made it crisper, you know. And I was like, for the long, it was like six ninety nine or something, you know, for like the year or whatever. And I was like, this is doesn't help, you know what I mean. And I ended up doing it one day, and then I listened back, and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner, you know. Like there's was just so much. So I agree, like just just spend 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 the whatever 15 20 a month you know for it and it, it makes your life so much easier makes uh getting it out on apple or spotify or wherever so much easier and yeah i, I too i would i would advise doing that
0: perfect and, and then the microphone you guys typically what, what types of mics do you guys have like on the desk sort of thing no, we got
1: booms. We have booms. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So we actually we went ahead and 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 splurged on some some pretty nice mics. Um, so we got some booms. Um, Rockville, I believe, is is the the brand. Okay. And uh, I don't know the specifics around them, but they um, they're pretty good. That's actually one of the things that I have not upgraded is the mics because they've been very very good.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, this is cool. I feel like uh, I feel like I could keep uh, chatting with you that I know somebody I heard somebody on a podcast say that you, you should never say that you should never come on and say like, hey, I think we should talk a lot because everybody listening is like, you know, they would want to listen to. But I also think that I will probably, you know, would like to get you back on the show again right so i think that all these things i always go into this like thinking hey this is just the start of our first podcast and and hopefully and again i'll I'll be tracking your podcast as well moving ahead um but let's take it out here with the two minute drill this is our quick little segment we've been doing to uh just rapid fire us out of here does that sound good to you that sounds good to me dave all right let's see if we can do this i'm gonna give it uh, i'm gonna set the timer here um, for two minutes, and uh, these will be easy. You'll you'll knock these out of the park. So, oh, great. Good, good. all right, good, good. All right, here we go. So, uh, so you're, you, I think you mentioned your one rod. So remind us again, what is the one rod for musky? Nine foot, nine weight, the Reddington Predator. If I can put a, if I can put a plug for Reddington. Oh yeah, yeah, Reddington's awesome. All right. and uh, and your one fly. What is we? What is a fly? Somebody go to your website and pick up that musky fly. What is it? We don't sell it. You'd have to contact me. Uh And it would be an articulated, uh,
1: all-black Buford baitfish.
0: Buford baitfish. Okay, perfect. And uh, what is, uh, in your local area, if somebody was coming through there, through your town, what is a place, a good restaurant, bar, something that would be cool to check in and have some food?
1: Ooh, um, in Gorham, there's MK Kitchen. It's fantastic. Um, And then there's, they don't do breakfast, though. The Blue Pig does breakfast, and it is also fantastic.
0: Perfect. All right, blue pig. All right, those 2 add to the list. What is um if you think about your I mean, obviously you have a podcast, so that's that's a big thing. What is your one podcast, your go to podcast?
1: My go to podcast, well, I listen to this one quite a bit. Um, I would say probably I listen to the most part in my take, uh Barstool sports, part in my take, it's a sports podcast. Oh nice for sure.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I love this. This is part of my, my selfishness because now I'll, I'll grab a few new podcasts. So that's when I, I, it's awesome. Amazing. You listen to uh, our podcast as well. That's, that's awesome to hear because we, we've obviously been trying to cover the country. And I think Maine right. Northeast is such a, you know, such a popular, I think we probably have as many listeners almost out that in your neck of the woods. Right. And, and it, for me, it's like, I'm just planning like, okay, where's my, when I get out to Maine, where, where am I going? Right. And so I'm hoping to, you know, hopefully we'll connect with you when I get out there.
1: Oh yeah, I definitely could put you pretty much on whatever you want.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, one more question to wrap this up. So give me. Um, so we got your podcast. Give us a give us some music to take it out of here. If somebody's going to press play on their Spotify channel after they listen to your podcast, what what band, music, song? What would you say? Oh, Genre Queen. Is Queen. My favorite, favorite. Yeah, Queen. It's my
1: favorite band. Um, somebody to love.
0: Somebody to love. Yeah. Somebody to love by Ooh. Queen. Somebody love. Her. All right. We're throwing that in the show notes. We're gonna have a little queen to take us out of here today. And uh and are there lodge one last quick one. Are there lodges in your neck of the woods at all? Is you have to kinda of go up north to find some type of a lodge, or is it or are there is there anything around there?
1: Uh not too many around here. Um Sebago Lake, which is one of our bigger lakes. There are some some lodgy type places. Um but you you have to go pretty much up north uh, to the rangely, you know, the famous moose moosehead, uh, those kinds of places to find those those lodges.
0: That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and we talked a little bit about rangely on some other episodes. So we'll hmm. we'll put some links out to those as well. But um nice, Greg. Well, I think we'll leave it there for now. We'll send everybody out to mainflyguys.com and uh, and remind us again, what was the Instagram? The Instagram is
1: at mainflyguys. Um and really feel free to shoot us any type of question. If you're curious about something about fish, like it doesn't have to be fly fishing related. If you're curious about something about fish, like why does this fish do that? Or why does this fish do this? You know, shoot us a message and I'm more than happy to talk about fish. It's it's what I love
0: to do. Amazing. All right, Greg, well, thanks again for all your time and I'm excited to keep in touch with you moving ahead and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome, Dave. Thanks for having me. There it is. Webfly slash four, four, six. If you want to check out uh queen right now and you haven't heard queen in a while um man just to get a look at the lead singer that's uh that's pretty much uh epic enough and and to listen to him uh, belt out uh the queen ballads is good so i'm sure we're gonna have a video over there um it's gonna be great um so check that out also want to give a heads up we have the steelhead school west uh that we are kicking off next week with the giveaway uh, this is going to be out to the Skeena Basin, the famous Skeena River, a place I haven't been to in a little while. So I'm excited to uh, to put this together and uh, and catch up with you on the water. This is just going to be the start, so stay tuned next week as we kick this off. We're going to have Brian Niskan on next week to kick things off. Okay, let's do a quick listener shout-out. All right, Henry Whipple. Henry Whipple. Hey, quick shout-out to uh, Henry Wimp- uh, Henry Whipple. Henry says, a quick one here from Henry. I always enjoy your podcast and entering your giveaways. Thank you for everything you do. Love it. Short and sweet, Henry. And I appreciate you for checking in and for supporting this podcast and for checking in on the uh, the giveaways we've had. Uh, We've got some schools that are kicking off, like we said, very soon. So uh, if you're interested, check that out right now because we're going to have a big trip coming up this year to uh, to our steelhead school west and it's gonna be a big fun trip and i hope you're able to get out there and uh, and connect on this one and do it all right that's all i got it is getting late so i'm going to uh, hope and wish you a great evening a great morning or a great afternoon wherever you are in the world and i appreciate you for stopping in today thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com